The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. All right. Hey, everybody. You're listening to The Winemakers. I'm John Meyer, sitting across from Peter Mathis, a good friend, old, old friend, actually. And, uh, of course, Bart Hansen and Brian Casey. And, Brian, uh, you left your Oliver's food bag here last week. I wish you'd left it filled with wine, but you but you didn't. So, uh, John, I think we left some wine here for you. <laughs> I think you did. So maybe that's why it didn't feel so good last week. So, and Peter, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, you know, we do this every two weeks, and it, and it comes out just perfect. We've got, uh, we just broke 15,000 listeners, and it's really, I mean, those, those are people who are listening to the whole damn show. They're not turning in and in and out, et cetera. It's just been really good. Yeah, because I can't wait to see you out when we say something foolish. Yeah. <laughs> wait and until, that usually happens at the end of the show. Wait until they see the video of the show. So, <laughs> um, Well, good morning, gentlemen. And, uh, well, you can't really clink that, can you? There you go. And what are we uh, starting with this morning? A Mathis Grenache. Got the Mathis uh, 2017 Rosé of Grenache. Uh, how nice. And Peter, when did you bottle this? Bottled it in uh, December. Right. Yeah, I think I remember you doing uh, yeah. pr- pretty much for your Rosé December uh, bottlings. I try to get it in the bottle as early as possible. To ca- it, The sooner you bottle it, the fresher it's going hold, to hold through its life. Right. No, it's really designed to be consumed in calendar year 18, let's say. And uh, uh, anyway, I find the earlier I get it in the bottle, the better I can keep the uh, aromas intact and also just that feeling of a fresh, lively. Oh, I wish it was 75 degrees out today and I'd be outside under the oak tree. With a bottle of this. I would have had to bring three or four of them. <laughs> yes, you would instead have. Instead of just one. So. Absolutely. So, so yeah. hey, Peter, you know, we, we're all familiar with you here in the Valley, and, and, and um, Brian and I and, and John, obviously. Could you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about your background, like where your first winery job was and stuff? Well, I, uh, well, I, I used long ago, let's say in the 80s, I made furniture for a living. That was my first career. And I was at, in the western part of Massachusetts, a very snowy, mountainous area, beautiful, um, and very happily making um, chairs and tables and oh. windows and doors for people in that community. But I got fascinated by wine through tasting, and uh, the the passion that came out of that d- just kept growing, snowballing. Um, where I, st- I just started spending a lot of my time reading and tasting and thinking about wine and whatever. And I finally, it, it piqued my um, creative juices to the point where I felt like I, I wanted to try to make some. And uh, <coughs> uh, what, would, what would that town think about you now? You've made it. <laughs> you're, you're a big winemaker in California. Well, they, uh, well I don't know about big winemaker. <laughs> <laughs> um, the... Uh, 
But yeah, I keep up with the people that sold me wine to taste. They would give me their book, you know, the the local retailer, the Najamis, would give me their uh, book of all the wines they could uh, source. And I would go through it, and every week or two I would order a mixed case of wine to, for tasting purposes, you know, for my, it's like educational case. And uh, I spent a few years doing that, and then thought about, um, well, once I decided I would try to make wine, uh, and I realized, okay, I, I'm not, it's not just gonna be a hobby project, I'm gonna do make a career change. I uh, did come out to California to look at going to school um, at Davis and Fresno in their wine program. God, but, he is a kid, isn't he? Well, I was oh, in my seriously. 30s, I think, or yeah, about 30, <laughs> and I was—I uh, just didn't want to go back to school. It was too much. But I bought all the, it was just the requirements. I was so over, you know, whatever. I just couldn't deal with You were that happy about being a vintner, becoming yeah. a vintner. Yeah. So I bought all their books. But how do, how do you make money? So you come out here and you decide you're, you're going to go to school and probably right, get a well, job at a... Well, at a I didn't go to school. I, st- I just bought the books. I went back to Massachusetts. I made furniture for another year. And I read all the books. And I, I did some work in the Hudson River Valley at a, um, at a v- very progressive winery for the time, uh, Millbrook Winery. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the winemaker there was i think maybe the best in the state um at, i don't i don't keep up with him it's john graziano wouldn't surprise me if he's still there but it was a, unlike most of the region there it was almost it was pure vinifera and i worked in the vineyard and in their laboratory so i got my feet wet let's say or it was too cold for water to form at that point <laughs> it was snow i would prune in uh waist deep snow wow unbelievable that's really scary but it made it clear that i wanted to come to california i guess so it's really when you when you <laughs> yeah, look, that was look crazy. at the uh, differences yeah you've got a bit of a advantage out here yeah don't have so, to have waiters so i i had already i had it in my head already that i um really felt the strongest affinity to the wines of the south of france and in particular the rhone area grenache based wines and uh how did but, you figure that out or come to that conclusion? Just from doing, Personal like I said, taste? you know, going through those case after case after case of wine. Okay. Um, you know, people would ask me sometimes, you know, like, well, I remember this one question. It's, um, if, you ha- if you had to drink only one wine for the rest of your life, you just had to pick one, no variety in your wine world, what would it be? And I didn't, no hesitation. I knew it would be... a a Rhone Valley wine, a um, Southern Rhone, you know, a, a Gigondas or a Cote de Rhone or, you know, any of the, I, any of the appellations that are in there. And they're, they're Grenache based. And what's funny is the first time I ever had a Grenache, it was served to me at the Grill and the Fig by this man, Brian Casey, Casey. And it was your wine. Nice. And it's the first time I had ever had a Grenache. Brian has sold an uh, enormous <sighs> number of bottles of the Mathis well, Grenache. It's beautiful stuff. I, I Thank like you, Brian. I love Grenache. Yeah. You know, it's I mean, a beautiful grape. It's uh, just so cheerful and uh, uh, it just has beautiful fruit expression. Yeah, it's, it's very not, bright. It's uh, not overly tannic. It's uh, 
This is it's, it's just lovely. So then you moved back. When did you come back out to California? I came to California in 1990. And okay, so I, I was interested in making Rhone wine, uh, a Grenache based wine, but <clears throat> at the time there were very little, very few people touching Grenache and larger, the clonal material. And, and did you note that? That was 1990. Right. Yeah. And so. so Man, I had it way ahead of his time here. Well, there there were people messing with it, but the the by and large, what was planted in California was crappy clones of um, Grenache that were really designed for rosé making. You couldn't really even make a red wine out of them, and people were, some <laughs> nice. some people were faking it. Randall Graham was faking it with. I mean, I shouldn't say faking it. No disparagement intended here, but he was using rosé caliber grapes but then then blending enough other stuff into it to make it a um dark enough to sell as red wine and then there were a few people that had old clone grenache in the ground um there's a uh this guy up in hopland mcdowell valley vineyards yeah okay they had some old old stuff that was from planted in the 1800s there were Peter Wellington. I don't think he was in business at that time, but he he, he has a vineyard that um, he didn't plant it, but it had very old clone um, Grenache in it. There were there were spots here and there of Grenache that that was great, but it, it was before the um, influx of modern French based red Grenache grapes in the U.S. Okay, so I digress. The the, this stuff. was. I knew I wanted to make a Grenache. There wasn't a lot of Grenache going on. And I looked around. For me, the closest thing, uh, you know, from a wine style, structure and fruit presentation that was widely produced in the U California to Grenache was Zinfandel. So uh, I sought out a Zinfandel producers. You know, and I looked, I sh kind of shopped around looking for a job and i landed at ravenswood right. in 1990 wow. so that's where i started so my that's career. where it's it's wow <coughs> i i guess i i guess i thought you'd work somewhere else and then went to ravenswood but you started that was your first winery job well other than millbrook yeah, yeah I, i'm sorry yes yeah. other millbrook that's awesome yeah. that's a that's decent awesome. deal for your first job yeah and how long were you there 26 years. <laughs> and, and so wait a minute. So, so at that point, the, the quarry winery hadn't God been built. Damn, no, no, man. way well before. Yeah, well before. It was years? before even the Garricky Road. I was, that, was, yeah. that was my next question. So yeah. it was before uh, the Haywood property too. Or we, made, we made wine in, the, um, in a, I don't know, a shack that was attached to the, so the, um, uh, the San Giacomo's right. place at Big Bend on Broadway. yeah. yeah. At a 5,000-square-foot facility. M Molly, there. leave Peter alone and welcome <laughs> Sam Katuri. How are you, buddy? He's he's going to say... Looking he's looking... Well, the I, there, sh there should have been um, sitting out there, but you do have your spit I mug. I found one. I know you want your spit mug. I got it. So, but I would, uh, I would try some of that... Uh, so Mathis start, Grenache. So start with the, the Mathis Grenache oh, or yeah, the Red Rock Grenache? Mathis first. Oh, this is great. We've got three rosés yeah. open on a, on a nice overcast on a day. rainy, atmospheric <laughs> river. I am in heaven right now. <laughs> I brought, I was, um, I organized 
Well, I, Paul, organized my cellar uh, at the tasting room. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. And uh, we, I found a case of the 15 rosé that I had hid so we didn't sell it all. So I could taste it, you know, once it started to age a little bit. So I figured I'd open one. I okay. didn't realize we were nice. having a rosé day. Rainy rosé day. It's well, all okay. Can I point something out and, and ask Peter a question? Um, so we've got three bottles of rosé open on the table. Two of them have corks. One of them has a screw cap. Bedrock has the uh, screw cap. And I, and I think I've asked Peter this question before. Maybe three years ago, I, I asked him if he ever thought about doing a screw cap on his rosé. And, and he said no. And, well, and not he, when you have beautiful corks like this one. Well, And, and he had a reason <laughs> for it. I think, I think you actually thought... Or you said that you thought no, no. I've heard you quote this, but okay. Yeah. Tell, tell me. <laughs> okay, the, go ahead and say what you were well, going to say. I, but it's come back to me one time. Yeah. See, and let me let me preface it by saying <laughs> that, know, that this is the first time Peter and I have actually got to sit down and have a conversation. That normally how it would go is Peter would be sitting at the bar having dinner, and I would get to talk to him for a minute or two um, over a period of about eight years. So I have these little nuggets of information that I think I have correct, but most likely they're not because I'm, I'm in the middle of work and I'm just you know asking him questions here and there. But but I could I could have swore that he said that he thought that the screw cap, the little rubber um, part inside the screw cap, imparted some sort of flavor on the rosé that he didn't like. Uh. Okay, that's not right, but that's interesting <laughs> you said that because what had come back to me was that that you heard me say that I like the little taste that the cork contributed to my wine. Okay, so neither of them I How, would agree There you with. go. <laughs> Strange talk all the yeah, way yeah. around. There you go. All right, so well, it's the game of telephone. So it's not a flavor thing. It's just a personal decision. Well, that you... I am not at all opposed to uh, screw caps, particularly for a wine like these rosés, especially ones that are designed to be consumed, consumed in the right next away, right. year, 12 months, right. 18 months. That's a great um, uh, solution. The I, I'm also totally happy with the cork. I don't. That's not. There, there's nothing wrong using a cork, well, but I don't have the technology where I bottle to use a screw cap. Gotcha. I do not have a screw capper at gotcha. uh, no bottling line that I use. And you use your cork as your advertising. Yeah. Also, I mean, re, who's got the cork? I, have it. I encourage it, customers to, to at, you know, at the at a restaurant or whatever to take the cork home because it has the phone number and the website. Yeah, and, it's the perfect business card. Yes. Uh, it says mathiswine.com, and we'll say it right now, 888-456-5202. I grow it, I make it. I grow it, and I make it. We got an 888 number. 888. I like it. Yeah, it's cool. We're nationwide. We're cool nationwide. <laughs> well, and how, So how about if I throw out another possible fallacy? So, so <laughs> let's, our, let's slay the dragons today. Right, Totally. So coming clean. I remember um, you talking about drinking rosé and you wanting your rosé to not only taste good when it's cold, but also when it's warmed up a bit in the glass. And that, that's a conscious decision you do ahead of time. And, and, and I don't know yeah. what that process is, it, but... Um, yeah, so uh, that is totally true. So um, the, the, but like right now, we're drinking the wine. It's probably... A six, I'm just guessing. I'm pretty sensitive to the temperature. It's about 63 degrees in our glass right now. That's my guess. And I think it tastes beautiful right now. Um, 
a lot of rosés at that temperature have fallen apart. They've become f flabby and ugly in some way. And uh, the, the colder you serve the wine, the fresher, more acidic, and possibly more bitter it would taste. It's possible that you'll see it. So in the... In the um, that, that's mine. The, um, in the... When I'm working the wine, just see where am I at, you know, structurally-wise, how the flavors and aromas hold up. I like to taste it through the full range, right out of the fridge to right up to room temperature and see how it holds up through the range. Because when you're sitting by the pool and it's 85, 90 <laughs> degrees outside, it's going to warm up, you know, maybe by the time you get through the glass. Mm -hmm. For most people, not us, Brian. We no. consume it much in quicker. Invest in an ice bucket. <laughs> And you drink so fast. Yeah. Or those little, no time those little cylinders. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like having the tasting room. Right. Oh, yeah. Those little yeah. metal cylinders. You can find them in you know, any sort of like wine accessory place. And you, you keep them in the freezer. Right. And then you pull it out and you put your wine bottle in it when you're sitting at the pool. Yeah, 85. Right. I need to get a pool so I could do this. Um, I think you need I, a I'm pool anyway. I'm talking just the glass warming up. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> but just drink it faster. <laughs> Pour but, small, drink fast. But do you think that... Uh, Cooler, a colder wine hides flaws in Ooh. some way. It, it definitely can. Yeah. So, what, like when you're working, winemakers when they're working in whites and or rosés, you you definitely taste through the flight at room temperature to 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 understand the all the information. Let's say, and but when you're blending and you know putting it together. You've, you need to taste it at service temperature. That, that you, you need to guess what your customers or the range of temperatures that your customers will see it at because it just shows differently. But if, for, to understand all of the information, you warm it up. And even like when I have a question, especially maybe in red wine, if I think I might be getting something, I'll take that glass. This is in a big blending s session. I'll take the glass and warm it up in the microwave. Wow. You know, I'll bring it up into the 80s, 85, and because it, you're going to see more. You'll, you'll start to, a little more volatil volatilization of things. Right. And so, you know, if I, just, if I think I'm getting a hint of something, warm it up and you'll, you'll, it may reveal itself. The microwave. Don't try it at home. Yeah, that's <laughs> that could be dangerous. I, well, I, I, I notice I, uh, just a few seconds for those trying at home. You know, when we're drinking, don't put it at a minute. When right. we're drinking um, your rose, when we're at the end of the show, it's tasting better. It's releasing more flavors. It's just it's 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 a different has a different character. So I I agree with you. I mean I I think. It cold may hide something, but warmth sure brings it out. Yeah. And, and you serve your rosé not at room yeah, temp, but the, slightly above. At the tasting house, the, the rosé and the white, um, sort of like a cool cellar temperature uh -huh. uh, on the, the wine fridge. So it's not, you know, it's not refrigerator. It's not the same temperature you're keeping your cheese and you know, milk at. <laughs> uh, it's more in the like sort of mid 40s or higher. Um, and that way, you know, you, you experience that full range that we're talking about. Because if it comes out 
ice cold. It's going to take so much more That's right. to get to room temperature. If it comes out cool, if it comes out like it would come out of the barrel, um, you have that, you know, 10 or 15 minutes that you spend with it, um, especially, you know, because usually it's not the only glass in front of you at 16600. Um, you have time for it to come closer to room temperature and start to release more of those those aromatics and, and really show itself. I think showing itself is... is um, what, what Peter said that uh, at room temperature it reveals everything, all that you need to know. How did you put that? However you put it, it was, it was right on. It's you know at that temperature that everything that's there is going to come out. Um, which it's there. If you know, you have to have a wine that can stand up to that for sure. I'll, really, it, it's not just rose or whites that it's red too. I mean, oh, I'm back. If, yeah. I'm back to last summer. I bought a case of this. It was beautiful. <laughs> I loved it. Now I remember, I remember how nice last summer was. So, well, there's eleven more bottles, John, and the price has doubled. Well, so. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not bar- buying. Oh, that's it. not working. Is Any it? more wine? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna spend this whole goddamn summer in the hospital and recuperating, and I'll end up being the bionic man by the time I'm done. And- and a half a dozen wineries in Sonoma are going to have <laughs> sales numbers. That are, we just didn't hit our marks. Oh, John wasn't buying any yeah, wine. Well, no, it sucks. I, I, you you went through tearing your ACL, man. I, yeah. I, I, I have broken bone in my hip. That just it's not ain't supposed to be cool. there. No, it's, it's not supposed to be broken. It's not supposed to be broken in there. Yeah. And uh, it's just... And then, then they wanted to right after that. Right after that, they want want to get me into the uh, the knee routine. So, uh, so I want to go back to our yeah, guest go back. here, if you guys don't mind. We <laughs> left off swapping orthopedic stories. I like right. it when you do that. We left off that um, Ravenswood after they moved off of the Broadway property by San Giacomo's, moved into what was is the old Haywood the- Winery. Is that yeah. where that the like burnt down building yeah, yeah. frame is left? That yeah. was where Ravenswood was. Yeah. yeah. What year was that? The, the year of burnt was. It was the day after nine eleven, two thousand one. Oh, really? Oh, was that yeah, late? But we we moved there. We retained it until the mid nineties, but we moved to the the main production facility. Moved to the Garricky Road Winery in nineteen ninety one, which was pretty raw at the time. It must have been right. Well, Peter Haywood had dolled that place up. Yeah, but we we but ne- I, we never added any production space. There was there was an addition made to the tasting room at some okay. point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then what year was the um, the, the quarry? Nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. And do you, how many square feet is that building? I don't have it in my head, but it's uh, substantial. Yeah. Let's yeah. say that it's one of the. Largest wineries in the county. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've always, you know, just never gotten down there. It's My friend a, Andrea works there now, and I guess I just I've, hit her up. I've delivered grapes there. Have you? And it's the greatest thing. I mean, you know, the the interesting thing about Ravenswood, at least in the, the modern iteration, is you know, you it they make a California Zinfandel that you can find in most supermarkets across the country, and you know, it's a that's um, where 15, I started. Ten, fifteen dollar bottle, probably. Yeah. Um, and those grapes, you know, they come in to make that much wine. Those grapes come in pretty much day and night for through the harvest, and so you're there. We're and then, but they also still have 
the small single vineyard, Old Hill, Pickberry, these these little uh, those, lots of Zinfandel yeah, that are. Yeah. I mean, it's like why mm-hmm. you know so much of this exists. So we were delivering the Old Hill Farm. Yeah. Old Vines Zinfandel, and it's, you know, uh, me and, and Ross Kennard, and we're on a little flatbed truck. We have four, six, eight, probably, uh, you know, half-ton macro bins on the truck, and we're sitting there waiting for them to find a forklift small enough to unload us <laughs> while, you know, five or six semis full, of, you know, with the 10-ton valley right. bins uh, delivering Zinfandel are really long. pissed at you. No, no, we oh, were no. out of the way. Okay. <laughs> they they right. made sure we were out of the way for sure. Uh, but it, you know, probably took 20 minutes to, for, to find a forklift that had a, at that, you know, in the middle of harvest, all the forklifts are set up to do as much heavy lifting as possible. And right. we had, you know, half done bins to unload. And they're like, wait, wait, wait a second. doesn't quite compute, but well, Joel, uh, Joel must've been quite a guy to work for, to, to, be, oh yeah, be uh-huh. there for all that time, uh-huh. and uh-huh. now his sons are are passing it on, and uh-huh. they're really making some great wines. Yeah, Bedrock, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Indeed. you know, it's, uh, well, they're look where they got it. Their Bedrock is you know uh, set in the standard for uh, old vines, and you know Morgan is the first master of wine, California winemaker. I mean, you know, he's taking it both. Uh, commercially successful and academically successful which and artistically successful and you know to combine all three of those uh in the wine business um is pretty rare unheard of impossible <laughs> um no somebody did it he did it he did it and you know yeah. really it's the the model that um Joel put down you know uh, i don't know where we came into the the bedrock uh, the the ravenswood discussion but Joel comes from a scientific academic kind of background is his parents were you know, professors at Berkeley or something like that. So, um, you know, the the Peterson side of the world is definitely um, wine from an academic standpoint to artistically and, and commercially, you know, successful, which is uh, it's a model that you have to be uh, smart enough to, <laughs> to mm-hmm. be on. I don't know, you know. At least to pay attention to. At least to pay attention to. Yeah. So, Peter, what, sorry. Peter, when did you plant your vineyard? I uh, I bought the property in '97. It's a uh, in the hills up above town, um, kind of in the shadow, say of Hansel or Monterosso and uh, your places, yeah. folk, your vineyard. How do you um, how do you get to? Is, are you go up Mountain uh, Avenue. You up Mountain Avenue. Yeah. Okay. So um, just at, below Caton, right? Yeah, Caton and uh, Jacques Mathieu has a little yeah, vineyard Cote, there. Cote de Caillou. Cote de Caillou, yeah, yeah. and. Uh, your family's been a little yeah. My, oh, in my that. dad, yeah. my dad yeah. planted that vineyard, and now yeah. my uncle still makes yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, it, we all, you know, decided to plant right at the same time. Anyway, I bought that in '97. It was in trees, and uh, I spent a couple of years clearing the land and planted in '99. Good lord, how do you how do you bulldoze trees out of there? Well, <laughs> it's it's a, like a caveman like process. So, um, I mean. It, I'm a tree hugger. It is a bizarre and difficult period of my life. Two winters spent chainsawing down trees, cutting them up into pieces, the branches in particular, piling them up and burning them. Wow. So I did that every non-working day of uh, the winter of 97, 98. Um, 
And Yum, then I get fun. about yeah. half of my non-working days in 98, 99. And, uh, How do you get the stumps out of it? Stum- okay, that, that's just the getting it ready. And then the bulldozers come in and uh, rip the, the ground and the stumps get pulled up out of that. Okay. Well, I just wondered, I mean... Uh, How many rock walls have you built around the property? <laughs> I don't have any, but I have some freaking Big. enormous rock piles. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, I was just reading in, in that... Rock uh, piles and firewood, that's my the, childhood. The book that I, I showed you this morning, Napa in Last Light, um, they were talking about you know these restrictions on cutting down... Well, trees, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, do we need any more? And Bob Cabral, any more trees. Yeah, do we you know, need any more? Do we need any more wine growing? Yeah, that's what well. I that, yes, we need more trees. And and we need more trees. And Bob Cabral from from Three Sticks kind of hit me the other day by saying, "No, we really do need more wine." producing area you know it's, it's 14,000 trees they'll grow again uh you know he, he was all for taking them on and, and unless i misunderstood um but i i was pretty amazed that somebody would you know go for that i what I'm, say I'm that we need more saying saying that we we could take those out i think the number is 14,000 that they were arguing about so um Anyway. I, I, I think it's a much bigger thing than that. It's a matter of the the ecosystem and where do those trees are and you know what what right. is it? What you know, slides I mean, into the river? What yeah, does? And, it's, and it's, it's called good farming. Yeah, and know? I think that the the context of this Napa at last light, and I think it's something worth uh, talking about here because this book has been making some waves in the in the wine and really national media for. A couple weeks, and this is a guy named James Conway, and he's written three books about Napa, Napa Valley, right? And, and particularly Napa Valley wine. And this is his third one where he's talking about uh, he, he coined the term lifestyle vintners. <laughs> yeah, um, yes, that was which pretty funny. for people who you know made uh, a fortune, their fortune, and and something else, and then have come into Napa and Sonoma, you know. Everywhere I'm, and I make wine and right. I make wine and does you know, that the, get you laid or anything? The, I, I make I, I make wine. Sure, I, <laughs> I couldn't even get an apartment in Oakland, but then uh, <laughs> I tried. Um, what neighborhood? <laughs> any um, these days? Um, no, but the the problem with his thesis, his premise, and my is. It's always been quote lifestyle. People, you know, there are people who have been born and raised working in the, in the vineyards, but um, since the beginning, it's people who've found wine country. I mean, you know, let's go, we to, talk, let's go yeah. to Agustin Hairsty. People right. found the wine country and found this is the place where I want to grow mm-hmm. grapes and and make wine and have a, have a and wine be a farmer and and be a farmer. Yep. Now, certainly, there's a disconnect. I think this is what he's talking about with people who don't live here, who don't understand or haven't become part of the community coming in wanting to rip out uh, 14,000 oak trees and plant a giant vineyard. Um, and, you know, that's what Napa is now reconciling with. How do you, how do you, you know, balance expansion 
um, with the people who are expanding and the you know how it affects the community, um, th- and they're going to put it on the ballot. And we'll see what they, we'll see what happens. Put put what put what on the ballot? They're going exactly. to basically uh, how restrict uh, uh, an ordinance in the county that restricts um, vineyard development in. Hillside areas, wooded areas, basically all the areas that are left in Napa Valley, in Napa County to, to plant. But, but uh, it won't restrict lifestyle vintners. <laughs> right, not at all. There'll be no, no test. Yeah. No, no, no. There's no, there's no, there's no litmus <laughs> test on who you get, who gets. It won't be winery. checking underneath your uh, yeah. fingernails to see if yeah. they're dirty. But Peter, did you get any blowback from from pulling trees in that in that? Uh, I did. Uh, no, yeah, that, did you? I, I'm right at the edge of uh, <laughs> uh, pretty densely populated neighborhood. You know, it's the springs there, yeah. and uh, so I, on three sides of my vineyard, I'm surrounded by I don't know thirty maybe properties, small properties. You know, seven thousand square foot yeah. homes, and uh, seven thousand square foot lots with homes on them, and. Uh, uh, the people had, were used to using that vineyard as a park, you know, that land, sorry, that land. And, uh, they were, they, it was hard for them to see it cleared. Uh, they love it now. It, whenever a house goes for sale, the first photograph on their website for the <laughs> sale vineyard, is my vineyard, right. you know, <laughs> and, and maybe a half of them will be of my vineyard in different phases of the season or whatever have have you had any um, <laughs> you get any residuals from that right yeah, <laughs> not yet <laughs> talk to some um, real estate agents like, where's my commission man <laughs> have you had any um any neighbors that moved in and said oh we live in the wine country and then yeah. they call and say "Ooh, we live in the wine country no that n- nobody really bothers me but i'm very i'm very t- and nobody bothers me anymore i'm very <laughs> careful about the um I try to be as careful as possible around, you know, how much noise and dust yeah. and stuff like that I make, and it it's problematic. Well, you and know, you're, it's like you're, a you're doing sulfur stuff. Dust. Yeah. Sulfur B- dust is by out. hand. <laughs> you know, you're, you're using a little hand, hand mower. Well, no, no, I use, I use a tra- I have tractor mowers. Yeah, but you I also use some hand mowers. But there the, you go. But the hand mowers are noisier than the tractor are by they? far. Yeah. <laughs> For a weed, weed eater is. for eight hours a day for three weeks. And it looks like you're getting attacked by stormtroopers. Yeah. Kind of sounds yeah. like it, too. Okay. They're, they're all in masks and yeah. outfits now because of all the... <laughs> a, tr- a crew of weed eaters coming through is okay. way worse than a tractor. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And it lasts worse. all day. And it's wildly worse for the environment. I mean, Really? Yeah. Why? Running a weed eater for an eight-hour shift is has more um, negative emissions to... in. To the environmental emissions than having uh, if you went out in your F-350 pickup, drove to Washington, D.C., and back. Wow. It's it's a unbelievably a inefficient more po- polluting. Yeah. So when, when you decide you're going to plant this vineyard, are you at that point making wine for yourself at the Ravenswood property? I did, yeah. Uh-huh. So you're sourcing from other vineyards and making... No, no. No, oh, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't ex- understand your question. I didn't... I, it wasn't until my vineyard matured that I began making my own brand. Okay. So it was a 2003 vintage was the first one I made. I didn't bottle it because the 2004 and sub- I held it. The four and the five both were substantially different than the three. And I said, okay, I, I like the three, 2003, but I, I wanted to present 
you know, what would become the, the norm for my vineyard. So the four and the five were very similar. The three was unique, and I decided, okay, it's an outlier. I'm going to just blend it away. Is it because of w- what came <laughs> in as far as the blend from the vineyard, or is it just because of the first fruit sort maturity. of maturity I, of the vines? I, I, I don't know. Right. I assume, I have always assumed it was the maturity, but... I wish I had bottled, uh, you know, a barrel's worth for my own, yeah. like a library barrel. I didn't do it, but uh, I wish I could look back at it. I liked it quite a bit. It was more delicate than the wines, ultimately. Always yeah. keep a library. Yeah. Well, you know, at that point, it's Grenache and also... Library Rosé uh, right now. What other varietals had you planted? I have, in the field, I have uh, predominantly Grenache, but I also have substantial amounts of Petit Syrah and Carignan. Mm-hmm. And then I have a little bit of Alicante Boucher. Okay. So those are the grapes. I, I, you know, when I went into the project thinking I was going to make a Southern Rhone wine kind of style, everyone's mad about Grenache, Syrah, and Morvet to was the point where we abbreviate it to GSM. Right. And, um, but by the time I was planting, and I had, I had assumed that's kind of where I would be going. But by the time I planted that, I had a, long experience at this point with with all kinds of varieties through our area from working at Ravenswood and Syrah and Morvet obviously did not did not show the way they do in the Rhone Valley here they're just like completely different wines and typically and um uh not bad just different and as blending components they just didn't look right to me against Grenache or that so many of the Zinfandel vineyards that we worked with, old Italian vineyards, have the those grapes I have planted as their spice rack. The Petit, the Carignan, and the Alicante Boucher. And I came to really see the value of those grapes as uh, tools. You know, as, as it's just like cooking. You know, it's just what is in your... You open that what's drawer and what kind rack? of spices do you have? Yep. So those are, are the har- ones are I they harvested want. separately? Uh, <coughs> typically they're uh, harvested together to co-ferment. It's a, r- it's a rare thing where I'll have a standalone lot of any one variety. There, there are some standalone Grenache lots, but the Petit, Carignan, and Alicante is almost always blended in the fermenter. And so at first you're just making a Grenache. Is that true? You're yes, yes. That, primarily I mean, that was, Grenache yeah. and, and releasing it as Grenache. With, with a small amount of those other varieties. So right. the, my wine is almost always around 85% Grenache, the balance, largely the Carignan and Petit Syrah, and then a little 1% or 2% of the Petit. Uh, the, uh, sorry, Alicante Boucher. And you were always doing a rosé or that came later? No, it came later. Uh, I started, in, I think, in 2011... We had a huge vintage that year, and uh, I had a lot of grapes. You had a huge vintage in 2011. Yeah. I think that's the way it's it was. It's Grenache, Sam. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, I, I love well, your... Well, uh, my, my, my vineyard does not crop heavily. No, I... Not been, at all. Yeah, I mean... It's, I mean, it's, it, it actually crops very lightly. Well, yeah, it's big, I have these... It's cl- a big pile of rocks there. Well, right? I have... It's not... It's the clones themselves mature. are... What, um, I was actually going to ask what clones... Yeah, the clones are the, just... They're selected purely... You know, when they were de- selected and developed and identified in the Rhone Valley, but in the Antop selection, so the they were d- purely selected for 
the wine quality. It had nothing to do with farmability, nothing to do with yield. So it's just fruit. It's it just for wine. Yeah. The fruit for this explosively rich Whoa. and lively uh, wine. Hold on, that's a different one. You're, you're into the barbecue. Oh, the barbecue. We should oh, try yeah. that, though. That's, oh, that's, that's from the well, Bedrock Vineyard. That's a whole other conversation. We were talking on, about. On the other hand, I was going to say you were just being so nice. Uh, because it comes from the Bedrock uh, Vineyard, owned by my friend and mentor Joel Peterson. And I changed my uh, my normal line because this there other is, bottle doesn't uh, say anything on the back of it. I grow it, I make it. Yeah, but in this but, case, I said uh, Joel grew it, I made it. That's <laughs> fair. Yeah, and you're right. Let's open that. Yeah. Please. Well, we can open it. Um, but I want to I, I want to go back to the clone choice discussion because yeah. I, we. We don't usually nerd out that hard uh, as far as clonal discussions, but um, the thing I'm curious about, uh, the Grenache and the Antov clones, and we can dig into that one day, but um, where did the Alicante and the Carignan come from? <laughs> okay, yeah, that's good. Especially good, the Alicante, because there's, there's not yeah. a lot of it left. We, we, that's a great question. We planted uh, a Grenache vineyard, the, the Muchas Piedras vineyard, next to the Estates Inn, and uh, we put a little bit of Mumavedra in there, and you know, probably about two or three percent of the vines are Alicante that we got mm -hmm. from uh, from Old Hill. So I got my uh, Alicante from Trentadue. Mm -hmm. Trentadue, that, yeah, they're Italian. The real names Trentadue. Up in Fieldsburg uh, uh, area, huh? North of Fieldsburg. Yeah, and then nice the, place. The Carignan really comes is. from uh, uh, a vineyard up. In the hills, right, just the foothills next to Cloverdale, um, it must An love heat. Angeli Vineyard. It, Angeli it must love heat. Oh yeah, it does. And uh, because that's right next to, well, where we had that Zen party for Zap. Carignan, uh, <laughs> you know, degrees, native yeah. to the south of France, the hot parts of Spain, um, where you're gonna find those vines so and, and but to to peter's point um when you look at the the old italian field blends that were mostly zinfandel but the quote the spice rack um the the field blend the the mixed blacks it was alicante carignan and petite Syrah, uh, which handled the heat as well as zinfandel did of of sonoma county so that's what those old vine vineyards are you know there's rare there's one that's all zinfandel doesn't exist um they're they all have something else in some varying percentages and i think uh, uh, peter wellington's vineyard was like that as well yeah. i think you mm -hmm. had a lot of zin and then you had some alicante yeah. and, and um, uh, uh, virtually a hundred percent of all the of the older plantings had that you know that mix blend there's a few they're pretty rare but there's a few that are that are pure, yeah. the old plantings. Yeah. Like so pre pre prohibition is what I mean by old. And that's that's old. I'll, yeah, I'll give old. you that as an old. All right. And well, Peter, how did you start making the Uber blend? Because we we just opened up this bottle too, and this one okay. is um, Petite Syrah Grenache, pretty much you know, forty five and forty. So primarily uh, Petite Syrah and Grenache, and then a little bit it's of bold. Uh, Carignan it's and a bold. It's a bold wine. I've got a bunch <laughs> of those stash. <laughs> It's a, it's a bold wine. Very. Well, so, well, it's just the creative processes. You know, I, I like making things, and I loved making my Grenache, 
But after um, a few years of just making the Grenache, I think I have these other grapes in there. I think, what else, what else, how else can I reconfigure uh, this? How can I re envision it to make something unique and different? And, and you've um, got great placement with the Uber blend down at the store. Yeah, and, yeah, know, yeah, they do a the good market. job of it at, yeah. the, at Sonoma Market. Yeah. So, uh, I just I started dabbling I think in the 2007 vintage, um, making a few barrels of it this blend and I just tried all different combinations you know, one third each of the Carignan Petit and Grenache that, like that just co-fermented and just wanted to see where it went and um, it took me quite a while to really get, I kept making it every vintage but I never developed the label. My friend uh, from college, who did my original label, um, David Chung, had is a wood it a, etching, right? What's that? Yeah, say, it's, it it's made to look like a wood etching. He actually made it on what's called a scratch board, oh, it's which scratch is the board. same the same process scratch where cool. you start yeah. with uh, with black. Every time you touch or stroke, it turns white. You know that's the same thing when you're doing a wood cut. You if you don't cut anything, it's pure black when you print. Every cut is subtractive. So, um, same process. And uh, <coughs> he was famous in our youth, our wastrel youth, as a uh, for his our wood cuts and youth. lino cuts. Yeah, it, well, we, the pictures are unbelievable. <laughs> you don't, I just got you don't married. Know I just got married a couple months ago, and um, he was at the wedding, and he uh, he pulled out some photographs from uh, you know when we were seventeen years old. I wow. could not believe it. You know, had a giant afro, did, and he had like hair down. How did your to his... new wife and her family like? That? <laughs> <laughs> it was just so hilarious to look at that. I mean, it all flashed back to me, like a no, flashback, it, literally. No, no is, <laughs> is this the hippie kid who did the label? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we were there, there together. I mean, now we're both respectable he's still you, he's and still successful using the label. adults. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so he did the he did the label, <laughs> well, like the original ads. label, no I think, in two thousand eight for Uber Blend. He, he you know, did the thing, but I never, it takes a lot of work to develop it into the final thing. And, um, this was, I just want to, the reason I'm telling you this story is because I want to point out it was before Uber was even a glimmering in anyone's eye. Oh, I didn't even um, think of that. Oh, we, we, so, didn't, we've never gone that way. Yeah. When we think so, Uber, we think your wine. Be well, quite honest. yeah, I sent right. them a when cease. When I call an Uber in Sonoma, I'm trying to get a glass yeah, of math. That's right. right. <laughs> so I sent them a cease and desist letter. Can I do that? <laughs> They they completely ignored my cease and desist letter. Oh really? Uh, <laughs> well, because they've got more <laughs> more lawyers than you do. No, that, uh, anyway, I did, I didn't bottle this. I think 2011 was maybe my first bottle. You know, you do some Uber. pretty good videos online, and maybe you ought to take an Uber to <laughs> Sonoma Market to buy a bottle yeah, of Uber, Uber blend. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Marsha, <laughs> now I want to give. Take I, a I don't make <laughs> take those videos. Marsha McComber, who does some marketing work yeah. for me, does those videos. She's Marcia very good a, at it. She's great, great job. Yeah. yeah, and she takes what we do and cuts it up, and and it's just it's like an automatic video. You know, we're talking about where is your vineyard and she'll take a map and draw it out while we're talking about it and it's just real interesting to have very very well done for cheap i mean yeah. you know what matters the way to sell 
small lot, small production wine uh, is to talk about where it's grown, how it's grown, and who it's grown. Place. Um, and, you know, a wine that says, I grew it, I made it, on the back of it, uh, it's pretty much all you need to know. It's, it's got your name yeah. on the front, and it says, I grew it, I made it, on the back. That's um, it. And then, you know, if, you're, if your social media marketing focuses on the vineyard, then, yeah, I mean, that's... Um, that's what yeah. this is about. You know, you can you can market the heck out of some larger production wine in all kinds of ways, but uh, when it's thing, things like this, it's you know, it's about the grower, the and the vineyard. Yes. Yeah, and I think the, you could arguably place. say that this is the most recognizable label um in Sonoma Valley. For me, when I see the the black bottle with the red foil and that that etching label, I know it's Peter's wine. Yeah, yeah, I I, lo- I, I really like it. It's Stanley Mouse painting yeah. in my tasting room, crying a little bit now that you're talking about that. Thanks, <laughs> Brian. When when we were making it, we were just like Bedrock's we went, also going. Well, what about yeah. us? Hey, hey. <laughs> when we were doing that label, we went round and round. It took forever. So we were ta- we wanted to capture the feeling of handmade, you know. So David's work is always very powerful and obviously um, from a man's hand. You know what I mean? It's very raw and um and we were doing things like graphic novels that we kept saying well what do i want to say and it was too complicated what we were the message and and he kept asking me to reduce it reduce it finally i said all i want you to convey on this label is that i grow it and i make it and he said shit peter let's just write it on the back right. <laughs> <laughs> perfect there you go. But this is what I love about Peter is he he is he is so into the details of everything. And this is this is when you know you the wine's going to be good is when you find a I remember working at um doing events at Paul Hobbs place in Sebastopol years and years ago doing catering events and I remember we would go in there and they the everything was immaculate and the sugar caddies there was 10 white sugars and five pink sugars and five yellow sugars and they were all wrapped in plastic. And when we'd come in, they'd put down paper down on the floor so we didn't ruin the floors. And I mean, I mean, it was insane the amount of details that they went in just so just so we could come in and cook in the kitchen. And I thought, I haven't even tried this wine, but I'm sure it's pretty good because this guy is so <laughs> anal about the the, st- the state of the kitchen. I can just imagine what yeah. the wine is like. Yeah. I, you could insert a cutting down trees kind of joke there. I got nothing. Ooh. I got nothing. <laughs> Sam. People know where I live. Yeah. <laughs> You're too well known, huh? All right. And uh, Peter, is it correct that you are the current something champion in Patonk? Can you touch on that a little bit? I am bit? not. But I play a lot of Patonk. Oh. And I have represented the United States twice That's in the what I was world championships. But I'm not reigning champion. No. Patonk, Patonk is... Patonk is a... Uh, very aggro version of bocce. Yes. It's a French it's game. It's the French version of French bocce. game. You, you play kick, with you metal balls. Rocks. Play at metal balls okay. uh, at closer quarters than a um, than a bocce court. That the courts are very long, so we play closer, less polite, far less polite, <laughs> and uh, um, and it's just a very aggressive game. You play it on rough surface. It's, it's a it's a beautiful gamesman. Game. How and, did you uh, I love, I've get into love it. it. 
I started when I first came to play at Ravens. It would go to work at Ravenswood. I did. We uh-huh. remember so playing Joel at Ravenswood. Taught they actually paid me, and I worked there. So the um, <laughs> the but while we were In waiting for any. grapes, uh, we would they had some balls around, and the, the, anyway, Ravenswood was an early sponsor of the Valley of the Moon Petanque Club. They had some balls around, and we would go horse around in the gravel lot uh, behind the the, cr- the crush pad there. And uh, so I learned to play in 1990. Well, you know, for those of you who don't know, Sonoma has a fairly large petonk. Yeah, it's one of the biggest population. One of yeah. the biggest yeah. clubs. It's one of the two biggest clubs in the U.S. Probably. When and there's you know a. a I don't see anybody quarter. There's a, oh, no, an they, eighth of an play acre every worth day. Petonk fields between Depot Park and, and uh, the really? even the in the, the even in the rain there. there'll be people probably playing out there. When well, correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, Peter, a petonk ball, the ball that you throw at the little mm-hmm. one, um, weighs the same amount as a bottle of wine. It's like 750 grams, which is 750 Jesus. milliliters. It's a bottle of wine. Yeah, you're throwing yeah. the weight of a bottle of wine, right? It, yeah, without the glass. Without though. the glass. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh, they weigh between six fifty and eight hundred grams, seven hundred and fifty. So that was a legal range. Yeah. There you go. Right. Well, Peter, how can everybody get in touch with you? And l- let's run down you your wines. You've got your Grenache, your regular yeah. Grenache. You've got your Grenache Rosé. You've got your Uber Blend, which uh, I, I I'm so glad I put some. You're the one who said. Why don't you just put a few of these away? Well, you know, I I found six hiding in the very bottom corner. Joan hasn't moved her car for a long time, (laughs) and I haven't haven't Uh seen in there. Uh Oh, here they are. Well, we had one for dinner the other night. It was was great. So So you're sticking with those four? four, Well, the Barbera is a one-and-done deal. That was sadly the... um, the Petersons elected to pull that block of vines out. Ah, that's too uh, bad. Well, you're breaking my heart because actually, I think that's a really unique wine. It's a beautiful wine, and yeah. it, I want. This is an interesting thing. I don't know what this show's really about, but I there's two <laughs> great. Exactly. 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 Don't worry. I'm exactly. a newcomer. That makes four that, five particular of us. I'll probably be a one and done guest. So the uh, no, <laughs> the uh, no. no no no. Yeah. Okay, so the um, the, there are two grapes that are widely planted in the world or in Europe um, that are get only kind of medium reviews that do spectacularly well here in Sonoma County. That's delicious. One of them is Barbera and the other one is Carignan. And I think they achieve their highest uh, expression globally right here in our backyard. So it's like Carignan gets no credibility in Europe. None. It's constantly declining, but I, I didn't. We didn't, when we were talking about where did I get my great yeah. fruit? So the the Angeli Vineyard there in Cloverdale, at, at Ravenswood, we get the grapes from uh, uh, Ravenswood year after year. We let's say we make five hundred, eight hundred different cuvées of wine every year at Ravenswood, and we taste through them blind, always to evaluate them. But year after year, fifty percent of the time. One wine comes out as the our favorite winemaker's favorite, totally blind, Angeli Carmen. Wow. We can't sell it, right? Wine ma- winemaker's favorite. We try, departments. but it has no sex appeal. But uh, you know, a stunning wine. 
unbelievable. No sex appeal. Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, it's one of those ones, you know, it, it's hard to pronounce. Yeah. It's hard to spell. Nobody, you know, nobody. Yeah. It's uh, though, you know, the the fastest grow, you know, the the biggest fastest growth in the wine sales world is the the what you know, quote <laughs> secondary uh, varieties. You know, you praise you look the at, Lord. Um, there's <laughs> there's uh, the seven that everybody you know the, the big seven, um, and you're talking about Pinot Noir, Cabernet, Zinfandel, Syrah. Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Sauvignon Blanc, and there's one more, Merlot. Uh, Merlot. No, you know what? In in California, the seven, it's it's um, it's like a, a table grape actually that ends up going into all kinds of you know box wine blends. That's the, those are the grapes that are the most widely grown in California, um, and so you know, but it really, it's it's Cab, it's Pinot Noir. It's Zinfandel, it's Zinfandel kind of, but you know the big the big ones everybody talks about. But where there's sales growth, um, you know, across the um, you know the entire marketplace is these secondary varieties. You know, Grenache is in that category. Um, you know, certainly Barbera would be there. Carignan. Um, I don't Mubedra. think Barbera is growing. Yeah, yeah it doesn't. Not going to. There's any left, but not uh, like, Carignan for sure. There's people. You know, it's. But you're also looking at growth from when you go but, from tiny numbers to, to slightly yeah. larger tiny numbers. Percentage-wise, it's big growth. So, but decline, you know, is, declining plantings. Yes. Right. Yeah, they, they, the, it just keeps coming out. And the Sonoma Valley, but in particular Sonoma Township, or immediate region, was once widely planted to Barbera. Like, you know, like on Spain Street, those little vineyards that are... Still exists. You know, There's when like I first moved here, it was almost pure, Barbera. pure home winemaker vineyards. <laughs> um, but there, there were a lot of Barbera vineyards in our immediate region. It was identified as, you know, a, a great grape. And a lot of the blends that were made back pre-prohibition, you know, nobody did varietal labeling back then. It's very modern. But Barbera was the, like a backbone of Sonoma Valley wines. Uh, it just keeps getting pulled out. So there's there's almost none left. Some people are planting it, but it's um, just it's a really it's a pity because it's a beautiful grape. But grown here, it, I, I love the the Barberas from the Piemonte in Italy. In a warmer year, they show very nice. They're very generous. Or in if a, you can in a, lay them down for a cool year for yeah. twenty five years. Yeah, but here the Barbera really can show beautifully year after year after year i wish there was more planted i'm considering actually um doing a little replant and putting some barbara in my excellent field. and you heard yeah. it here first man yeah. <laughs> so to get in touch with peter you call 800-888 excuse me 888-456-5202 that's mathis wine company or go, or go to the website so or, it's or just it's website, mathis, mathis m-a-t-h-e no, I-S. M-A-T-H-I-S. MathisWine.com. I can only see the, the one uh, line. The other Mathis is with an E. You're right. You got and two the, that's that's backyard, that's, backyard that's, white roans. Henry. Henry. Yeah. So These are a, not backyard white roans. They might be your backyard, but they're not white roans. These are great wines. Beer. No, absolutely. I love so. the Uber blend and the Barbera. Yeah, beautiful yeah. stuff. Yeah, that, if you're having trouble selling the Barbera, I can help you. <laughs> okay. Buy a couple bottles. Yeah, the Barbera is amazing. Anyone out there that hasn't had one that's grown yeah, I'll get domestically, a couple too. Um, I recommend picking up a, a case, if not uh, two. 
You like that? I do like that. Buy one by the case. Four, by the case four, four cases. Four. Four cases. Why Peter. don't you just give us a deal on on six? <laughs> yeah, so. Peter, I got a question for you, and this is another one of those things I swear I thought you say and uh, you said, and oh. maybe. It, I'm just doing this. This is like therapy for me. This is like me on the couch with with Peter setting me straight. That you sell. Um, you just bought four cases of wine. This is the most expensive therapy you ever had. <laughs> I but think, worth every penny. I think you told me one time you sell uh, a fair amount of wine to either is it Japan or China? Korea. Korea. Uh huh. And so, how did that come about? Barbecue, baby. The, uh, it would be awesome. Early, early awesome on in the Mathis brand um, releases, uh, Yun Choi of the Vin CSR, a distributor in Korea, was having dinner at uh, Boulevard Cafe in, in San Francisco. Right. He had a bottle of my Grenache. He loved it. He had a, his assistant get in touch with me. He didn't speak English. And... Uh, uh, we made a deal, and uh, since that date, I think I sp- sell about ten percent of my production over there. Nice. And is it for his? It's for his yeah. personal consumption. No, 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 no. He distributes his... it, and right. uh, it's it's. And uh, make... my, my friend David Chung, who d- did the labels for me, is Korean. He's been over there and um, spends some time with Young Choi, and uh, uh, he sent me back pictures with of my wine in retail places and. There, it's you know, he did the math for me. It's priced exorbitantly. You know, by the time it's shipped over there and whatever distributed, it costs three or four times as much as it does here. And uh, but it still sells very well. I just wish I could sell it that expensively here. <laughs> That'd be nice. Wouldn't yes, it? move to Napa. Yes, uh, <laughs> so become a lifestyle vendor. Yeah, yes. uh, did, did you have to do a different label for that? How did no, no, they no. They just put a like a. The, I don't know what room. they do on their end, but they, 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 they love the n- label because it it does have like an Asian look to it. They, yeah. they love the right. Uber blend as well, and right. they, they. I've seen some of their catalogs, and they feature it on the cover, you know, because it's it has sort of an Asian woodcut look yeah. to it. Yeah. Nicely done. Yeah. Nice. And hey, Peter, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. It's for very me. much appreciated. And Wines are great. Uh, yeah, you wine guys are great, got Peter. Thank you. Got one more question, or we're out of here. He grows it. He makes it. You drink it. Yeah. And, and I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for uh, thank listening, you. everybody. This has been the Winemakers. I'm John Myers. See you next week. <laughs>